Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can uh, visit, visit the uh, website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a great uh, show lined up for you today, including guests uh, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. Kimberly Boubier, she is a candidate for the Cuyahoga County School Board. We'll visit with Kimberly as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architect and author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. He co-authored that with Buzz Aldrin. It is May the 20th, and on this day in 1873, San Francisco businessman Levi Strauss and Reno, Nevada, Taylor Jacob Davis were given a patent to create a, uh, work pants reinforced with metal rivets, making the birth of one of the world's most famous garments, blue jeans. In San Francisco, Strauss established a wholesale dry goods business under his own name and worked at the, as the uh, West Coast representative of his family's firm. His new business imported clothing, fabric, and other dry goods to sell in the small stores opening up all over California and other western states to supply rapidly expanding communities of gold miners and other settlers. By 1866, Strauss had moved his company to expanded headquarters and was a well-known businessman and supporter of the Jewish community in San Francisco. Jacob Davis... A tailor in Reno, Nevada, was one of Levi Strauss's regular customers. In 1872, he wrote a letter to Strauss about his method of making work pants with metal rivets on the stress points at the corners of the pockets at the base of the button fly to make them stronger. As Davis didn't have the money for the necessary paperwork, he suggested that Strauss provide the funds and that the two men get the patent together. Strauss agreed enthusiastically and is the patent for the improvement to the fastening pocket openings. The innovation that would produce blue jeans as we know them was granted to both men on May the 20th, 1873. Strauss brought Davis to San Francisco to oversee the first manufacturing facility for waist overalls, as the original jeans were known. At first, they employed seamstresses working out of their homes, but by 1880, Strauss had opened his own factory, the famous 501 brand jean, known until 1890 as XX, was soon a bestseller, and the company grew quickly. By 1920s, Levi Denim uh, waist overalls were the top-selling men's work pants in the United States. As decades passed, the craze was only grew, and now blue jeans are worn and beloved by old, young, and everything in between around the world. What an amazing business. Can you imagine that? R running a dry goods store, getting an idea, and making it work, and all these years later, the great success of uh, blue jeans. What a great country, the United States of America. Well, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be investing $100 million for cancer research in the state. His wife, First Lady Casey DeSantis, was recently a breast cancer survivor and said that the state would lead the way to find a cure for all types of cancer. We believe the cancer initiative is very significant in the state of Florida, the governor stated. It's consistently been the second leading cause of death just behind heart disease. I think that's pretty typical of what you see around the country. Over the last year, there is something that has taken a large impact on our family. 
DeSantis added that many people in Florida have been affected by, or in some way or another by cancer. He declared that since his wife's diagnosis, he began to do research and look at what people have been able to do, and that information gave him a new sense of hope. He stood by me the entire time. He never missed a chemo appointment, the first lady voiced. Six of those sittings in there were very uncomfortable, and he held my hand through the everything. This is a game changer. Florida is going to be leading the way to find definitive cure once and for all, and it's going to happen right here because of his leadership, uh, said uh, Casey DeSantis. The funding will go towards cancer centers in Florida, which will increase the research funding by 60%, which is just terrific. Just uh, finishing a book right now called Dr. Mary's Monkey. Uh, Such an interesting story and highly recommended, but it talks about uh, how the polio vaccine was infected by monkey virus uh, going back to the 50s. And uh, leading, one hypothesis is that uh, this has led to an increase in cancer, soft tissue cancer around the world, uh, that, that coming out of the uh, salt vaccine and the, uh, the polio vaccine. Amazing. Well, in a split with party leaders, 11 Republicans Thursday voted against a bill to send $40 billion in military aid to Ukraine as Russia's invasion of the nation nears its fourth month. Despite some GOP opposition, the bill passed by a final tally of 86 to 11 with the support of leadership from both parties and a significant majority of Republican senators. It will now go to President Biden's desk. He'll certainly sign it. Senator Rand Paul uh, led the opposition to the bill, demanding an inspector general be appointed to oversee the spending. The U.S. Final, total financial commitment to the Russian war on Ukraine will now amount to $54 billion. Paul was joined uh, <clears throat> voting against the bill Thursday by Senators uh, Marsha Blackburn, uh, John Boozman from Arkansas, Mike Braun from Indiana, Mike uh, Crapo from Idaho, Bill Haggerty from Tennessee, Josh Holly from Missouri, Mike Lee from Utah, Cynthia Loomis from uh, Wyoming, Roger Marshall from Kansas, and Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. Today, the Senate will approve more lethal assistance for Ukraine, and it's going to be a bipartisan landslide, McConnell said Thursday ahead of the vote. Anyone concerned about the cost of supporting Ukraine victory should consider the much larger costs should Ukraine lose. But the senators opposing the bill gave differing reasons for why opposition to the general policy and lack of oversight. I, I just think that this exercise is nation-building, Hawley told Fox News. So I'm a nationalist, and I'm not in favor of nation-building. I think we ought to be prioritizing American strength. Paul, meanwhile, complained about the fact that the bill isn't paid for at any time when Americans are struggling with inflation. These uh, senators who voted to gift $40 billion to Ukraine argue that it's in our national security interest, Paul said in the Senate vote after the vote. I wonder if Americans across the country would agree if they'd been shown the cost, if they'd been asked to pay for it. Paul added, my calculation, each income taxpayer in our country would need to pay $500 to support this $40 billion bill. By some accounts, it's down payment and we need to be replenishing it in, in about four months. Democrats, meanwhile, were railing against the Republicans for the fact they delayed the Ukraine uh, funding bill. Senator Paul's obstruction of Ukraine funding is totally unacceptable and only serves to strengthen Putin's hand in the long run, Schumer said last week. Well, uh, I, I just wonder where the money's coming from the EU and who else is putting up money for this. The answer that I've, what I've discovered is nobody else. In other words, this is simply our United States investment in the Ukraine, $40 billion. It's covering some of the rebuilding and replenishing of our military, but 
nevertheless, we don't have the money, first reason. You can't spend what you don't have, but we've certainly done it, haven't we? Unbelievable. Well, lawmakers continue to raise concerns about the Internal Revenue Service as a congressional hearing this week. As the agency deals with billions in misspent dollars, hefty processing backlogs, and complaints over poor customer service, lawmakers lobbed questions at the tax collecting agency during the House Ways and Means Oversight Subcommittee hearing. The programs have an annual improper payment rate of around 25%. Let that sink in. 25% uh, improper payments. In the latest fiscal year, the improper payment amount totaled to $19 billion dollars. Uh, Rice, uh, who's a Republican from South Carolina, said the agency had 16 million unprocessed returns. Critics have blasted the agency for months for its backlog of millions of returns. Others pointed to the poor customer service at the IRS, an agency that has struggled to keep up with call volume from Americans asking for help. I believe that the most significant unfairness facing American taxpayer right now is the lack of customer service at the IRS, Rice said. At the same time, IRS phone service levels are near all-time low, making it near impossible for any help with tax or audit matters, he said. Uh, Many taxpayers have been waiting for resolutions to their tax filings and to receive long-overdue refunds. This is unfair and needs to be fixed, he said. Lawmakers from both parties have sent a series of letters to the IRS asking questions and looking for solutions. A bipartisan group of over 100 members of Congress sent a letter to the IRS in March about some of these issues. We remain concerned that the IRS does not have a comprehensive plan to remedy the numerous problems affecting taxpayers, despite the fact that this filing session is already well underway, the lawmakers wrote to the IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick. For example, there is continued confusion about which notices may be unilaterally suspended by the IRS beyond the notice that the IRS has already suspended, among other issues. A group of Republicans sent a similar letter uh, in January. Since the start of the pandemic, members of Congress have been expressing concern about the unfolding crisis and urging you to take action to resolve the backlog as soon as possible, the letter said. We understand that at this point, significant trade-offs may be required at the agency to meaningfully reduce the backlog in the next few weeks, but we think it's time for such trade-offs and drastic action now, said the letter. The IRS has defended its work, pointing out it was given an array of new responsibilities during President Joe Biden's first year in office. The IRS response to the COVID-19 included uh, delivering more than $80 billion, $800 billion in economic impact payments to help Americans cope with the financial effects of COVID-19 and delivering more than $200 million advance payments of child tax credits, totaling $93 billion to eligible families. That between July and December of last year, that according to Kenneth Corbin, an IRS official helping to lead taxpayer experience issues for the agency. He also pointed out that the IRS officials warned Americans to file early and accurately to avoid delays. And for that reason, the IRS worked diligently to encourage people to take extra precautions this year to allow them to receive their fund quickly and avoid processing delays. Well, I ended up uh, owing money. I don't know about you. I had to write a check. Uh, they didn't have any trouble cashing. <laughs> they did it pretty darn quickly. But yes, again, <clears throat> saying that, hey, we just have too much work to do. We're underfunded. We don't have, we need more funding to uh, get the work done. $19 billion in mispayments. And if you just can't make, this is why many of us resent sending money to the federal government because there's such a lack of accountability and so much waste. It's just unbelievable.
All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you want airconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is life.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, um, yesterday passing the bipartisan $40 billion bill to finance by ourselves uh, what's happening in Ukraine, 
Just wonder what's happening in Congress. What's the agenda going to be from between now and, say, July 4th? Well, so as I, we spoke before, in prior calls, uh, Memorial Day is generally perceived as the cutoff for significant domestic policy legislation in Congress. Um, that is to say, after Memorial Day, they're too busy campaigning generally um, to get anything done. So with that in mind, I'm pleased to report that majorities in both chambers are adrift, um, really with uh, no co coherent or cohesive agenda whatsoever. Um, so it looks likely that we're not going to get any significant domestic uh, legislation coming out of Congress over the next 10 days. And specifically, the House over the past week passed a bunch of messaging bills that are going to go nowhere in the Senate. Um, this includes a bizarre measure to uh, prohibit price gouging of gasoline, um, <laughs> as though that's the cause of, of you know, the, I guess the pain of the pump these days. Right. Um, there's also a bill, uh, a food stamps bill, and a domestic terrorism bill. You know, linked to the uh, January 6th committee. I mean, you know, all of this messaging stuff. Um, and then over in the Senate, really nothing going on. Um, you know, there's a bunch of uh, breakout bipartisan discussions going on in issue areas like immigration and climate policy, but um, no one expects those to, to amount to much. There's still that dynamic whereby um, the Biden administration and this pertains to the Senate wants $10 billion uh, more for COVID funding, whereas uh, Republicans in the Senate are insistent that that measure be tethered to a vote on Biden's planned uh, rollback of these Title 42 immigration uh, uh, measures that were instituted by the Trump administration that basically allows um, the Border Patrol to turn people away uh, at the border uh, over public health concerns. Long and short of it is, um, it at this point appears unlikely Senate Majority Leader Schumer is going to bring forth the COVID funding bill just because he knows that there is about 10 lawmakers in his own caucus who would vote against the Biden administration on that immigration policy. So that was a long-winded way of saying things are bogged down in the Senate. I'm, I'm pleased to report. And, you know, the House is passing a bunch of nonsense messaging bills that are going nowhere. So with Memorial Day approaching, it appears as though um, Congress will not get anything significant done. Certainly nothing like the uh, Build Back Better agenda or whatever it's called. Um, so that's the score on Capitol Hill. <laughs> uh, thanks for that report. It's a, it's a real relief to know that they're not going to create any more mischief <laughs> right now. By the way, uh, it's Title 42, is that, there was a stay uh, keeping the, uh, that uh, in place. Uh, what's happened with that? Do you know anything about that? Oh, well, indeed. So uh, the, the uh, that is before a district court judge in Louisiana who had been, as we spoke about, I think three Fridays ago, um, had basically put a pause on the Biden administration's plans to roll back that policy. Um, that was a preliminary ruling. There has been subsequent briefing from both parties. We expect a ruling from that court before May 23rd. I guess that's three days from now, which was which was when the Biden uh, rollback was supposed to take place. Mm -hmm. So the long and the short of it is within 72 hours, we should have an answer. Given the judge's initial posture, it seems likely that he's going to rule against the Biden administration, but it's also a fool's errand to prognosticate what an Article Three court yeah. is going to do. Well, thanks for that update. That's good, good information. Hope, hopefully uh, the judge will uh, sustain the, uh, uh, the Title 42 to keep it in place. Otherwise, our borders are going to be absolutely crushed with uh, illegal immigrants. Hey, I, want to, I want to get an update from you on the uh, Sussman trial and what's going on. 
Oh, indeed. So as we intimated last Friday, the trial opened this week. Um, and again, this is a trial of Michael Sussman. He was a Clinton campaign lawyer who's being charged with lying to the FBI to start this Russiagate stuff to basically tar the incoming Trump administration. Um, really, the big news this week is, is sort of how difficult this trial is going to be for John Durham. Um, for example, their key witness, James Baker, he was an FBI lawyer. He's the one to whom Sussman lied. Um, he was in the stand this week. Well, he's a friend of Michael Sussman. Mm. I mean, they go back a long way. And indeed, he had been dragging his feet, this Mr. Baker, um, with Durham's, with, with cooperation um, with Durham's investigation. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's uh, an interesting scenario whereby the key witness is also a friend of this politically connected lawyer. Um, you know, and, and it was also demonstrated the stand. I mean, this sort of reticence to, to cooperate. Um, and at the same time, you look at the jury box. This is a function of the fact that this case is taking place in D.C. Well, D.C. voted, I think it was 90 percent um, Democrat or does on average. Uh, the upshot is there are three jurors who uh, admitted to uh, uh, donating to the Clinton campaign. Um, you know, but in normal course, perhaps that would be reason to strike someone from the jury box. But in D.C., where 90 percent of the, the electorate, I'm sorry, 90 percent of the population are you know, the diehard Democrats, um, it makes these things difficult. So it's mm -hmm. uh, um, those are I've found those developments interesting. And I do think they point to sort of on the one hand, the insidious nature of this case to begin with. I mean, this is all about this super political or super connected political lawyer who basically tried to engineer a vast left-wing conspiracy to tower the Trump administration. Um, so it, it is uh, uh, both uh, indicative of sort of the ills of, I guess, the swamp, if you will, yeah. um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, also demonstrates that uh, Durham has an up uphill climb here. Yeah, so the the trial is about Sussman lying. <laughs> is what would be possible that uh, you know the inference here was be that uh, Bayer would lie in order to cover for his friend? That's not going to happen, is it? Oh well, to be sure, no, no, no. I'm not accusing uh, Baker by any stretch of the imagination of lying, but I am saying that the, the fact of the matter is this crucial text that that forms a key piece of evidence for Durham, which was a, a text from Sussman to Baker saying, "I don't represent anyone." Uh, Baker was sitting on that for a year and a half before he turned it over to the Durham investigation. I mean, uh. despite their having asked for all material evidence. Um, so, you know, again, it's just a strange scenario whereby the key witness against Sussman happens to be a longtime acquaintance and friend and someone who traveled in the same political yeah. circle yeah. as Sussman. Well, it certainly can have influence, I guess, on the outcome. Well, we'll stay tuned. How long do you think this trial is going to go on? Uh, a matter of weeks. I mean, a, a year. Um, I should know this better, but I would guesstimate three weeks or so. All right, and then, and then that's going to lead to other accusations, other uh, indictments. Do you think? Let us hope so. I mean, again, this. It, it, I, I do think in the course of the Michael Flynn trial, I, I poo pooed this notion of suing people or um, uh, making it a crime of lying to the FBI. But it's one thing to do so for a citizen, you know, a private citizen. It's another thing when doing so instigates the machinery of the state, the FBI, six, you know, the federal, the, the blue men, the G-men or whatever, upon the Trump administration. So um, I do hope, and I've said this before, you know, the real, let's, let's get to the rot 
inside the government I mean, right. that allowed these state resources to be co-opted for these political purposes. So I do hope that, um, if nothing else, it, it just it shines a brighter light on sort of the, the political dirty tricks and shenanigans that um, are all too commonplace in the city. Absolutely. Great commentary. William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, William. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Pop. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. Phil is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. Phil is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. Uh, we're a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to uh, pick the fights where a little bit more citizen education and involvement can make the difference and uh, tip the outcome in a more free market direction. And all our stuff is on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. Thank you for that, Phil. So um, you came out have a column about rejecting new energy taxes. And that right now we have... Inflation mainly driven by the cost of energy, and, and now it, it, it appears that Congress is considering taxing energy? 
Well, uh, at least two major business groups are encouraging them to do so, which uh, I find alarming, which is why I wrote the column. And, uh, you know, I thought for a long time that, you know, the only way we get, you know, a national carbon tax or cap-and-trade type scheme uh, is if the Democrats have massive majorities in the House and Senate and the presidency. And, of course, you know, Obama tried to do it with that configuration and still couldn't do it. So it seemed that this, this uh, threat was, was largely neutralized. Uh, but the fact that major business groups, including the, the major oil and gas producers themselves, are now asking for a national energy tax, a carbon tax, uh, makes me concerned that, you know, some quote-unquote pro-business Republicans might be willing to go along with it, and we might get it, you know, even with, you know, a configuration of Congress more like what we have now or even what we would have after the election. And so that's why I'm sort of blowing the whistle on this, uh, because the fact that business groups are pushing so hard for this, I think, makes it much more dangerous and uh, much more real threat uh, than it had been. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing this to our attention. Uh, help us understand why uh, energy companies would want to have some sort of a, a carbon tax. You know, it's, it's a hard question because uh, it's, you know, it seems pretty foolish for you know, the, the major energy companies to want to put a tax on their own customers. Um, excuse me, because obviously that would raise prices and reduce demand, and they would reduce their profits, and so it doesn't seem like they're, uh, you know, representing shareholder interests when they do that. Uh, I, I think it's a combination of two things. One is they, they've just sort of corporate wokeness, and they've gone uh, left politically, and they just, they want to be the good guys, and they want to be, uh, you know, uh, celebrated, uh, you know, in the media and in the culture and uh, not attacked and hated. And, and, and then I think the other part of it, uh, so that's sort of the ideological uh, element. And the other, I think, is a very foolish belief that if they tax their, if they go along with taxing their customers, then the Democrats will call off the dogs on the regulations and the restrictions and all the other crazy anti-energy things that they can sort of buy peace on the regulatory front uh, by imposing a tax on their own customers. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know why they think that, because Democrats have said about a million times that they want both, <laughs> not uh, tax instead of, but the, in addition to. Uh, but yet this, this belief persists among some people, you know, kind of on the, on the right or in the center or in the business community, that if you, get the t if you give them the tax, then they'll, you know, ease up on the regulations. And so I think it's a combination of ideology and uh, sort of this, this naive belief that you can buy peace uh, with the green left by, by, you know, putting a tax on energy. Yeah, well, I mean, carbon-based fuels, that's basically, they're the enemy, aren't they? So they're basically, it's, this is just an attempt at appeasement to get on the, the right side of this argument to say, well, hey, we're part of the movement too, <laughs> you know. So it, it, it how, and how come, or is it possible that uh, conservatives could possibly support this? Well, I mean, to my mind, if you support it, you're probably not very conservative. Right. So, uh, I, I would say no, but I mean, I think that you could see some Republicans doing it uh, because there's some that don't think very deeply about economics or about uh, principle that will say, oh, well, if this is what the industry wants, if this is what the business community wants, then this is the pro-business position, and uh, they'll go along with it. 
And in particular, in the Senate right now, we've got at least two Republicans, uh, Mitt Romney and Bill Cassidy, who are saying they want a carbon tariff, which, you know, it's not exactly the same thing because you're only imposing the tax on imports as opposed to, you know, all energy, but it's very similar and it will have a very similar economic effect. Uh, and, you know, I think the, I see it as sort of the wedge to getting the broader carbon tax, but, you know, they think, well, you know, Trump supporters like tariffs, so we can do it. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, it's not like, it's not like this would be a tariff to shift more production domestically because we've got an administration that essentially prohibits new production domestically. So it would just raise prices, uh, really. And so, you know, the fact that that's even being talked about and you've got Republicans that are in this working group talking about it, mm -hmm. I do worry that the Senate might do something on a bipartisan basis that would be not to lower energy prices, which is what you would assume they'd be working on, but to raise them. I do think Republicans in the House are pretty solid on this, uh, but they don't control the House, at least not yet. Uh, they may after the next election, but uh, you know, I am I am worried. Uh, that's why I wrote about this. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I, you know, it should be too crazy and stupid, especially with the you know with with what we're already suffering every time we fill up a gas tank. But you know, they're they're. They're trying. It's unbelievable. They're, they're working on that. Unbelievable. Well, the, the idea of a, a carbon tax for imports, it kind of makes sense because you're taxing, in, in a sense, those that are creating uh, carbon dioxide, <laughs> they call it... Uh, pollution <laughs> which is just a joke in and of itself but i guess i guess in a, in a sense it would raise some revenues that way coming into the united states government but to your point which is more important i think is it's going to raise costs for uh, consumers it, it would raise costs for consumers uh and other countries would retaliate as well and you'd get you'd get a lot of pressure to impose it domestically because you'd get sort of a move towards doing it on a global basis and uh you know it, it's uh it, it, to me, it's too clever by half. They're trying to, they're trying to adopt a version of their policy that will appeal to Trump voters, but it's still the bad, same bad policy. Yeah, as I see it. Great, great point. It's also, as you pointed out, the uh, camel's head in the tent. <laughs> you know, it's it's just the first step towards. Uh, and 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 by the way, I'm a firm believer that carbon dioxide is plant food. I mean, there's to me this whole. This whole thing has been fabricated around a false premise that somehow, some way, carbon dioxide is bad for for uh, the the planet, and I don't think it is. Uh, soot and and uh, contaminants in the in the uh, air certainly that should they should be cleaned out. We certainly have the technology to do that, but carbon dioxide is not the enemy. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, you know, certainly among sort of elite opinion, that debate was lost a long time ago. Uh, yeah. But I think among the American people, that's probably still a majority position and you know it's interesting there are all these polls people will show you that say you know should we do something about global warming and 60 or 70 percent say yes but you know then you ask them you know how much would you be willing to pay to do something about global warming and most people say like no more than 50 bucks a year <laughs> and so you talk, you look at these policies and uh they, they wouldn't actually be popular no matter how many polls uh, people show you that are sort of worded to suggest they would be. Yeah, Phil Kirpin, again, president of American Commitment. Great commentary, Phil. I encourage you to visit the website, AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. 
Have a good one. You too. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with a candidate for the Cuyahoga County School Board, Kimberly Bouvier. We're going to be doing that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall and a classical virtual school, Optima Classical Academy, will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Kimberly Bouvier. She is a candidate for the Cuyahoga County School Board. Uh, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about my campaign. Uh, happy to do it, Kimberly. So tell us a little bit about your background and uh, who you are. Well, again, my name is Kimberly Bouvier. I'm running in District 1 for school board here in Collier County, and I'm a proud American, a conservative, and a Christian mother. I have a beautiful 16-year-old daughter with Down syndrome that I homeschool, and I want to point out the fact that beyond all that, I'm a mama bear. And I know a lot of people think of mama bears as being protective, but I just wanted to speak to that a little bit. Not only are we protective, we're devoted. Um, I don't want people to think that I'm just out there fighting indiscriminately, not at all. I fight with a purpose and I will apply wisdom and discernment to that fight and common sense. 
I will confront the issues with courage. And I want people to know that I'm very committed to this, committed to the end, as all mama bears are. I'm also confident and competent. And I'm going to fight for all the students in Collier County. Well, they need that battle for sure. I mean, uh, when you just take a look at the metrics of how we measure success, for example, being able to read at school level and grade level and that kind of thing, it's not good. So uh, tell us, why are you running for uh, school board? Well, you bring up the exact point that I am running for school board because on average right now in Collier County, we have 38% of our students in grades 3 through 10 that are failing English language arts and math. They are not at grade level. They are well behind, and that is a problem. Well, and not only that, but uh, when you take a look at the metrics of how the uh, school board and and the superintendent of schools looks at success, I mean, some of these schools are getting A's and B's, uh, and yet their students are failing. Well, and they they, I get the impression that they only want to talk about their accolades, and I never hear them talk about the failures. Uh, I don't hear them talk about this. Uh, high percentage of students that are failing. And it's even higher in certain schools. That's just across the board, 38%. But we have schools uh, in my district alone, I have a school that's got a percentage of almost 60% of students that are failing ELA and math. And, you know, uh, that's kid, pretty high. Yeah. And, and uh, in some things, well, we have a lot of uh, English as a second language students here in our schools. They say that. But you know what? If you take a look at states like Massachusetts, they have a higher percentage than we do of English as a second language in many cases, and yet their scores are much, much better than uh, than we have here in uh, Florida and in, in, in Collier County. So I'm, I'm just really pleased that, uh, that you're focused on excellence, that that should be the measure right now. And uh, you read a lot of, uh, about... Uh, uh, pornography in some of the textbooks. You read about uh, uh, critical race theory and some of these things. Is that stuff prevalent in Cuyahoga County? Well, we do know that it is contained in the teacher's supplemental material because they're able to go and pull whatever they want and bring it in. Uh, but hopefully, we'll get we'll be able to uh, get a hold on that with all of the new legislation that's been being passed. And Governor DeSantis has really uh, focused in on things like that. And we're thankful for that and everything that he is doing. Uh, but yes, it is. there are issues going on right here. This is not just uh, an issue that's happening across the nation and we're somehow immune. No, we have it right here in our own county. Yeah. So for our listeners that may not, uh, in fact, I, I, I really wanted to have you on the show because uh, many people don't even pay attention to the election of school board members, and it's so critical. Uh, what do you think of the makeup of our current school board? Well, I think the board as a whole uh, needs to be held responsible for the failures, mm -hmm. such as what we were talking about earlier with the 38%. And we know that charter schools are able to outperform public schools time and time again, regardless of the demographics of their students, just like you pointed out earlier with the, the student up in Massachusetts or the school up in Massachusetts. So charter schools are doing the same thing. They're outperforming the public schools time and time again, even when they are in uh, areas where the, the students have uh, are coming from socioeconomic backgrounds that are, that are um, compromised. So we know that it's possible to do better, 
and we need to look to charter schools. Uh, right here in Collier County, we have a charter school that is number one in Collier County. I will um, tell you, it's Mason Classical Academy. And we need to look at those models. Yeah. We can do better. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, having a classical curriculum, uh, getting back to the basics as opposed to uh, you know, f emphasis on opinions and social studies and that type of thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be studying history and social studies or, or political science, but uh, we, you know, we need to get back to the ABCs and get back to uh, memorization, understanding the uh, ca the chemistry uh, tables, the, the uh, periodic tables of, of uh, well, you know, all these types of things. I think are just so critical. I don't think our students are getting exposed to that. Yes, and St. Thomas Aquinas said that the slightest knowledge of the greatest things is greater than the greatest knowledge of the slightest things. And I think we need to get back to that and focus on that um, because we typically are seeing that there's so much extraneous elements that are being brought into the classroom, issues and concerns that have nothing to do with an excellent academic education. Our students' time really should not be consumed by being taught issues that have no bearing on turning them into strong, intelligent, and competent adults. Absolutely, indeed. So, uh, Kimberly, the election is coming up in August? Yes, August 23rd. It's a very crucial uh, primary. People don't realize that most of the time school board elections uh, get determined in the primary and many times don't even go to the general election. So it's really important that they vote in the primary so that they can determine who's going to be on that board. And uh, I, I believe you can you can uh, vote for uh, one candidate in each district. Is that how it works? Yes, Bob. One candidate in each district, regardless of where you live in this county. Oh, that's great information. <laughs> it's, it gets confusing because it's not always the case, for example, for the Collier County Commissioners. But irrespective, Kimberly, I mean, your uh, website, uh, it's Kimberly Boubier, B-O-O-B-Y-E-R, uh, for schoolboard.com. Kimberly Boubier for schoolboard.com is the website. So do check it out. Do some investigation. And uh, Kimberly, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's written uh, many books, I think up to 10 now. He's got another one in the hopper, too. And uh, his latest is Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. It's a book that he co-authored with Buzz Aldrin. Well, we're going to be talking about his column in Newsmax. He writes a column. It's called On Point in Newsmax, newsmax.com. Biden's extreme MAGA movement uh, claim contrasts to Trump's advantage. I definitely agree with that. We're going to do that more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. As I mentioned before the break, he's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontiers. He co-authored the book with Buzz Aldrin. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning, Bob, and thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. So, uh, your latest Newsmax column, very entertaining but very accurate, Biden's extreme MAGA movement claims contrast to Trump's advantage. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, apparently, the, the Democrats had this must have had some kind of focus meeting and decided that if they can really brand uh, Make America Great a movement, again, movement uh, is something uh, pretty extreme, then maybe that would be a win for them. And, <laughs> and, I, and I think when it's, they come to being extreme, I think they're probably being too modest. Um, <clears throat> I was just looking at some of the some of the comparisons of, of extreme and... Uh, and uh, I think I think they do a pretty good job of that. If you look at you know the economy, and you look at you know the energy concerns we have, and the border issues, and the you know the attacks on law and order, and, and, and assaults on parental rights, and so on, I think I think they're doing a pretty darn good job about it. And they should uh, they should be more upfront about that, and see how that works in the in the uh, Upcoming midterms. I mean, it's, these are these are all hail marys at this point. I mean, I've been told by a good friend who uh, is the head of the uh, Foundation for Government Accountability. He says that uh, people make up their minds a year in advance of who they're going to vote for in the midterms. So the die is pretty much cast at this point. But is there, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm different, but I just there's no credibility. Every th- time I listen to Joe Biden open his mouth, I'm thinking to myself, he's telling us another lie. Well, I think people are feeling it. You know, I mean, I think the one thing that uh, 
you know, as universal as, as people's pocketbooks. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the gas prices are, we, you know, we look at them as being, uh, um, pesky, you know, for some people, but it's life and death for a lot of people. You know, they, they can't get to work and they can't operate their tractors in the fields and they, you know, they can't feed their families. And, and, um, and so, you know, the gas, gasoline prices, also diesel prices are just absolutely uh, horrendous. And I think people are beginning to connect the dots a little bit that a lot of the financial problems are being tied to not not only represented in, in, in fuel costs, but driven by fuel costs in terms of what it costs to uh, produce products and takes energy and what it takes to deliver products to the marketplace it takes energy and so on so and i think people are starting to connect the dots and i think they're also starting to connect the dots between the notion that you can print all the money in the world and and still have it sustain its value and and you can have all kinds of theories about that but it it really comes down to and i think musk recently said this you know if you you can't just mindlessly print money and and uh, expect the value not to uh, depreciate in the money. And so I think people are beginning to realize that all this uh, handout stuff from the government is coming out of their own pockets. And, and people are resentful. You know, when they work for money, there's a sense of if you want equity and equality, you basically don't, you know, you get very angered when your family is, is uh, the one that's paying uh, others a, choose not to work you know i think even if you take this student loan program uh, uh, relief that they're talking about you know a lot of people you know they may they the democrats may say well gee that's gonna buy us a lot of young votes that we need but no i think it's gonna really anger a lot of parents that paid off the loans that sent their kids to school and mm-hmm. people have paid off their own loans and say well wait a minute this isn't fair now I'm just at the age where I'm going out in the job market and I can't afford to rent a place. I can't afford to get married. I can't afford, you know, I can't, you know, I certainly can't afford to buy a decent car because uh, the car prices are so inflated. So I think that, you know, probably the, the real attention getter is really the economy, inflation. Now we, we you know, we had on my, my wife's birthday was last week and, and uh, somebody who doesn't work for us, his wife was so nice that she works in a, in a place that, that you know, has wonderful Mexican foods. They brought over some, you know, some, you know, some food for us. It was just, just a surprise. And, but it wasn't enough for four of us. So we had a, so we went and bought another pound of meat and fajita meat. And it was half chicken and half beef. That pound of meat cost ninety dollars, and I thought, "What?" And I guess I've been kind of, kind of removed from all of this. I thought, "My God, this was just this is a pound of meat, half chicken, and you know, no no catering, no you know nothing." Huh. And uh, it's it's amazing to me. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the reports from Walmart and Target, for example, sales are way down. What's happening is that the American people are simply redistributing and figuring out how to spend their money. They've got to have gas for their car. They've got to pay their electric bills and so forth. So all that has to be taken care of. So it all is taken away from other parts of their lives, unfortunately. And to your point, America, they can figure it out. And the, the, it's all so unnecessary. I mean, you've written... Uh, scared witless the prophets and prophets of climate doom. It's about uh, this whole climate uh, issue that uh, really doesn't have any fundamental support in real science at all. And unfortunately, the entire premise of this Green New Deal is all about uh, converting us from uh, carbon-based fuel, which is totally absurd. A lot of these issues, I think, in the public mind, they, they're very you know confusing and you have know, all these so-called experts, and you have the, the climate alarmists, you know, and they, you go to the International Panel of Climate Change, you know, the, you know, the United Nations, and, and they got this huge wealth redistribution game going. And, 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 but, you know, they're, they're the, they're the uh, ultimate authority, presumably, on climate, and you wonder what can go wrong with that, you know. And so, so you, have, you know, have this, and the public thinks, well, Wait a minute. It's like he said, she said, all, and they put out this blather about ninety-seven percent of climate scientists believe such and so, which is absolute BS. And uh, and the public has no reference to really disagree with that. And you have, you know, the COVID shutdowns, and oh, they're gonna they're gonna do this or that. Or now, now it's they say it's safe to to vaccinate, you know, five-year-olds when clearly there's no scientific data in terms of long-term effects and and they they try to push that kind of mantra so you know we can't trust the, you know the medical you know so-called authorities if there's anything less trustworthy than the united nations it's probably the world health organization right you know and, and so we you know the public gets all these mixed messages and of course the media hasn't been very helpful but but they're starting to feel it they're starting to feel it you know the crime problems are up. They can't can't really hide it when it happens to their car or their neighborhood. They can't really hide the inflation. They can't really hide the the, the you know the, what's happened to their four hundred one ks now and with with the uh, with the market down and 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 uh, wondering about stagflation and and you know people really don't like what they're what they're seeing taught to their kids in school. And the kind of grooming and 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 you know uh, sexually inappropriate materials and and you know anti-patriotic materials and so on. So I think there's there comes a time when the public says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't like what's going on right now." Right. And uh, I, I, we need to stop the pain. We've got to stop the pain. No question about it. Again, Professor, I mean, the Founding Fathers certainly knew what they were doing when they put together the uh, the balance of power because it, it's pretty clear to me, whether it's through energy or health care, as you pointed out, there's people are looking forward to are looking, trying to grab power in any way they can. So we can just be grateful that it, we're struggling right now, but at least we have a form of government that could help us sustain <laughs> going for it, I, I hope. Professor Larry Bell, again, uh, latest book, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. 
co-authored with uh, Buzz Aldrin. And also check out Newsmax.com, Larry Bell's column on point. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests lined up for Monday, including William B. Allen. Uh, He wrote a book called The State of Black America. Actually, he edited a book called The State of Black America with several authors. Uh, Looking forward to that interview. Also, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of uh, many books, his latest, No Problem. (laughs) We'll do that on on Monday. Always appreciate your comments here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>